Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the TT Podcast. Now by cycling's calendar, spring has sprung and gone away. We've got three races to run through, the trio of Arden Classics, where Demi Vollering stamped her mark and Tade Pogacar very almost did the same. Joining me is my co-host Tom. Tom, how are you? Hello, everyone. Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I just um, It's interesting you say spring has sprung. When I look at you, clearly dressed for winter here, I've had a bit of a shock this evening. Yeah, look, I for the listener, I am wearing a beanie on my head. And my hair is, I was telling Tom off air, my hair gets to a length where I'm uncomfortable with it and it, get, it gets too bed hairy and it annoys me. But I'm too stingy to get more regular haircuts. So the way I manage that is I start wearing hats more. And a heavy duty gilet as well. It's not a heavy duty gilet. The gilet is because, again, it's, it comes back to me being stingy. I'm too stingy to put the heating on in this house because I don't know where you've been the last few months, Tom, but we've got a cost of living crisis in this com- in this country. And uh, I, it's it's better to, uh, what's what's the phrase? Heat the person, not the house. You know, I have it on good faith that the uh, the weather has been much worse in London over the last couple of weeks. It's been lovely up here in Scotland. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm being a bit harsh on you. Well, there you go. Tom, in personal news as well, the, the skies are looking brighter for you. I think the listeners are, are interested in our lives as much as they are Vollering and Pogacas. And I am I'm aware that you've quit your job. Oh, well, I wasn't sure I was going to reveal this tonight. But yeah, let's go ahead. Uh, did you, did your employer know this? this? This isn't like the... Oh, no, my employer... This isn't a scoop, is it? Today was my last day at work and I'm essentially on gardening leave now, which, for the listener is the dream if you can ever get this it's absolutely great and then in a month i'm moving to peru to go and teach english for a bit is the plan so yeah that's got a bit rogue but uh i have assessed the situation and we'll keep these recordings going as the plan as well well there you go i mean as far as i'm aware peru is not the most kind of cycling based country but with your knowledge heading over there you've got a lot you can bring to them I mean, you, you, you wonder why not? Look, if the Colombians can do it, the Peruvians can. They've got the same mountains. They just, it's, they've not got the cycling culture that somehow, you know, success breeds success, doesn't it? That's what happened in Colombia. Maybe someone needs to go and take that to Peru. And maybe, maybe that's maybe, maybe. maybe. <laughs> um, Tom, you love the Ardennes. Did last week live up to the hype for you? I do love the Ardennes. And as the listeners will know, that is just all down to that 2011 Ardennes. Do we call it the triple or the triple or the, um, you know, however you want to do it. Philippe Gilbert, anyway. Um, that was one of the formative moments in my cycling education, getting into the sport. Um, helped by him turning up to the tour that year and winning the uh, opening stage as well. I was just so impressed by him as a rider. And therefore, anytime someone comes close to winning all three of them in the same week, I get very excited. And it's been a really good week this time around. I, I actually, I mean, <laughs> you mentioned Philippe Gilbert yourself there. I have in my show notes here that I wanted to pay homage to Philippe Gilbert at the start of this episode, which I thought you would be more than on board for. Um, I'm happy to sit back and listen to that. Yeah. I don't know if you know, you mentioned he'd only ever won, he's only ever won one Tour de France stage, right? Which is obviously one more than most riders do, but mm-hmm. fewer than I thought he had. Um, it is that stage, that 2011, he just had such a stellar year and mm-hmm. then uh, just fell off a cliff at the beginning of 2012 and managed to save the year by coming back and and winning the world champs because they put it on the Amstel Gold Course. <laughs> <laughs> um, a fun fact, I, I watched a documentary on him the other day and a fun fact that I learned from that, uh, which is probably not news to you, um, is that Philippe Joubert grew up in the town at the bottom of the Cote de la Redoute. Um, 
I actually didn't know it was the town right at the bottom, but I knew that was sort of his signature climb. It's the one where it just has Phil, Phil, Phil written all the way up every time it's there, isn't it? So I don't think I did know that. I'm also not surprised to hear it. Yeah, I mean, his his school, yeah. the school he went to, is literally like at the foot of the climb. Um, his town, I think where he grew up was maybe like a kilometre south of it. But like he, that was his training climb. Like That is where he rode as a kid. So it was no surprise yeah, that I he mean, won Liège. I knew he was Belgian and therefore, you know, with that name and the fact that he speaks French from Wallonia somewhere. Um, although, um, and then he came through on a lot of, he does speak Flemish or, or Dutch, whatever it, you want to call it. Um, I've spent a lot of time going through old interviews of Philippe Gilbert and speaking any language he can. And hearing him speak Dutch with a little French accent is, because it very rarely goes that way in Belgium. The uh, The French speakers don't tend to learn Flemish Dutch in the same way that the people in Flanders can all speak French and English fluently. <laughs> I mean, he speaks English with a very strong French tinge as well, which is, is oh, he's more great than on the back of the mic, though. Uh, yeah. we, I think I actually think we've done this segment, but I'm, I'm happy to do it again. Probably. Or, or would you rather jump straight into Amstel? Uh, well, we've done the the weekly Philippe Gilbert segment. Let's get on to Amstel. Um, Amstel on draft for Tadej Pogacar. He wins somewhat controversially with the race organisers towing him at parts to the line. Uh, it was a little while ago, Tom. What do you remember of that race? You know, I said to you off air as well, look, we've got six races to go through here. Here you go. Is there anything you particularly want to talk about? And I was like, I'm just struggling to remember. all. You know, there's a lot happens this week. And um, what I will say is, do you think without that uh, camera bike there that Tadej Pogacar wouldn't have won anyway? You know what? Let's be completely hypothetical and say no, he would not have won. Ben Healy would have come back and beaten him. <laughs> I think that's what Jonathan Vortis yeah. wants us to say. So let's say yeah. that. <laughs> no, uh, you are looking at you know probably the strongest uh, bike rider in the world on his day. Um, so yeah, he might have got a little bit of help, but I think he probably would have stuck it anyway. You know what? That said, I saw some Strava data, Tom, about Ben Healy's ride, and apparently he was going as fast as, if not quicker than, Tadej Pogacar on those sections after that climb where Pogacar dropped him. I think that the issue really was that Pogacar put so much distance into him on that climb that it was going to take a miracle to come back. Also, I saw that Jonathan Vorters, right, and this interested me, um, said that Healy has something about him and that he has a very aerodynamic body shape. Is that is that something that you've noticed? I can't say I have, no. Um, that does seem like something only the... Uh... You know, the real analysts at the team would, would probably have the data on. It also seems maybe a bit of straw clutching after coming second. But um, yeah, it's not really something I was paying too much attention to. No, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's because he's mentioned that and now I'm thinking it. But he kind of, when he rides, he's a bit like a little bullet sort of thing. Like he wears mm -hmm. an aero TT skin suit in road races, um, which is a sight. And then I guess his shot, his his handlebars are very very narrow, which draws his shoulders in. So maybe JV's got something something true there. Maybe look, you need everything you can get against Tadej Pogacar in the form he's in at the moment. So okay, happy to admit there is something maybe there for Ben Healy. Still, don't think it would have been enough. <laughs> mm -hmm. The the issue that I had with Ben Healy was he didn't beat Pogacar when it counted, which was when it came to drinking the Amstel Lager on the podium. 
you love the beer on the podium, don't you? Uh, I was sorry. That might have come out wrong, but you you love that particular podium with that particular beer when they used to have a giant one. This is what I'm fuming about, right? (laughs) It was up until last year they had they gave them a giant giant beer, right? And I don't know if it's been budget cuts this year or amp still being stingy but this year they all got a kind of it wasn't even a pint it was a euro pint it was like a 50 centiliter pint which isn't a pint technically a 50 centiliter glass of um europe's well certainly london's cheapest beer on draft uh i am still was the first pint i ever legally bought uh so i've always had a bit of a soft spot for it on my 18th birthday so uh i I don't mind an amstel i still go for it a lot (laughs) I have a soft spot for it because I know with confidence that any pub I walk into in London, Amstel will probably be the cheapest on draft. And it saves me. And this is, I'm really showing myself to be incredibly stingy on this episode. Um, (laughs) And for me, it saves me the embarrassment of being like, hey, what's your cheapest pint on draft as a bloke in his mid 20s? I do that all the time. You're you're there presented with taps of Peronis and Asahis and whatever else you are. It's the Amstel for me. Yeah. Amstel. Like yeah. 40p cheaper yeah. 40% less taste but definitely worth it anyway um, enough advertising for Amstel there um, Taddy Pogacar did get the pint down didn't he he did the 50 centiliter yeah. glass he got it down yeah. um, I don't know Demi had a, had a stronger a, a large sip I think but she didn't down it I think Taddy was the only one to down it well there we go that's a, a man after my own heart then there you go draw, draw your own conclusions from that um demi vollering the first installment of what would be a trip play in the in the arden let's call it a trip play then well yeah let's go for the trip play we we, we both speak french tom let's use it um the race finished on the cowberg and i know that is a climb that you like very much that's what i mean the key difference between the races right i know and i i think we briefly touched on this before but I much preferred the men's route when it um, finished up the Kalberg, and that, yeah. uh, that's certainly what Philippe Schulbert preferred as well, um, <laughs> because that is his... Um, he's won so as I said, like when as soon as they put the World Championships course there, he just went and won that as well, having won Amstel Gold. He must have won two or three times on that route, and um, it's just a great finish, and I think it gives it more of the profile of the other two, because um, I think that's really... Well, certainly Flesh is marked by the murder hui at the end, and uh, Liege Baston Liege finishes going up quite a rise before they have that. I can't remember what it's called actually. That final climb in uh, well Liege before they take that left turn to the finish line, don't they? Um, and with Amstel, they've been moving the final climb just further and further back from the finish until they well they took it out altogether and had them approach the the same finish line. They just covered it from the other side. Mm. Um, and so I certainly prefer this women's profile and Demi Vollering made an attack straight out of the Philippe Gilbert playbook. Well, this is it. it, it the drama yeah. is guaranteed with the Kalberg, right? It's a big, wide road, big, long drag. It And it comes so late in the race that it's almost, you're definitely going to have people dropping off the back. We saw that with Annemiek van Vluten. She lost contact. She's struggled a bit this week, um, yeah. or last week, rather. But Vollering, as you say, takes a flyer as they crest it. Everyone's looking at Kopecky. It's the classic, and we're not going to talk about it again, the classic ST works have always got two, three cards to play in the last last part of the race. She powers away. And I guess it's, it's, it ends up being a bit of an amuse-bouche for what we're going to see at Flesh Wallone the, the week, the Wednesday later. 
It does. I mean, that's what you said about Kopecky as well. I think at this point, Demi Vollering was incredibly grateful for Kopecky, who obviously just um, draws so much attention onto herself when she mm. sat there that it allowed Demi Vollering to get away. Although I think, as we've seen later in the week, she probably had the legs to get away anyway, given uh, the, the results of the other two races as well. Yeah, the interesting thing with Kopecky, Amstel Gold, from the start of this season, she was doing press interviews and Amstel Gold was one of the big ones that she named. She said she was going for Flanders, she was going for mm-hmm. Paris-Roubaix, and she was going for Amstel Gold. And they were the trio of races that she was hoping to peak for this season before getting to the Tour de France. Now, she won one of those, um, and Vollering won one. You can't legislate for what's going to happen on the road on the day. And as a team, it's hard to argue against the fact that they've executed most of these races perfectly, even if maybe their plan A rider to win didn't cross the line first on some occasions. Mm-hmm. Let's swiftly move on, because I'm aware that we have six races to cover here. Uh, that's two ticked off. The next one, the Flesh Will Own Hill Climb competition. What did you make of that one? <laughs> well, should we should we stick with Demi Vollering talk about that one first? Uh, yeah, let's stay with Demi. She laid waste to everybody. I have never seen someone lead all the way up before. That I don't was think I've ever seen incredible. it either. <laughs> um, um, she barely even got out the saddle. She just powered away, kept ticking the legs over, and one by one, the people behind her just sort of fell away. Which is you... not how you ride the murder we. No, but it's kind of reminiscent of how Anna van der Bregen used to ride it, right? She would just hit a mm-hmm. strong tempo from the bottom and tap away. That, that I think, is the key to it, right? We've seen them in the men's race, and they get to the top, and they're slugging this bike between their legs. Those that win it with real grace are those who just, hands on the bars, uh, arse in the saddle, and just tap it out all the way to the top. To an extent, yeah, but there's that's what it's a deceptively long hill. Just it because is, it's of the longer gradients. than I than I think it is. Yeah. You know, it's it's about I think the, for the men it's about a four minute effort, and you can just see you see people getting overhauled in sort of the final two hundred meters all the time. It's just such a drag to the line, and that is why you don't want to lead from the bottom and why you want to conserve something, stay in the wheel, and then it is all about timing your move correctly um, until the women's race last Wednesday. <laughs> It was it was an interesting finish, and it was interesting to see some of the riders involved in that finish. One of them being Gaia Realini, who to me has she shone out a bit. Got up to second in the end, didn't she? Uh, I think it was third. Definitely on the podium. Might be. I think it was third. I read an article about her recently in Escape Collective about how she grew up admiring Elisa Longo Borghini, who she now rides alongside, who I think is about ten years older than her, um, and Marco Pantani. And there are certainly shades of that in her. Well, I just think if you're someone uh, her age, and I've just checked, she did get to, uh, it was third in the end, Liana Lippert second uh, at Flesh. So sorry to have missed her out there. But look, if you're a female cyclist in Italy, uh, you're going to be looking at Elisa Longa Borghini. And if you're any cyclist in Italy, there are lots of things about Marco Pantani's career to be admired. Uh, lots of things um, not to be admired about it as well, but we won't get into that. No, I was alluding to that, but I didn't want to say it. But uh, in terms of that sort of swashbuckling style on the bike and how he was an icon for the sport and the country of Italy, I can see why that would suit someone now coming. You know, if you try and emulate Pantani, you're going to have the qualities that suit you well going up the murder hui. We we had a couple of um, quite iconic British riders, right, on that in that race as well. Lizzie Dignan, her big return after maternity leave. 
was very welcome to see. She's going to be doing the uh, Vuelta Femenina, which starts next week. Um, and Tom, friend of the podcast, Eleanor Barker, who has been in the mix recently, hit the climb in the front group. I've got the results here. She finished 16th in the end as well. Um, which I think she'll be disappointed with because she hit the climb right at the start. Do you remember when she came on the podcast, right? At the whenever We asked her about it, didn't we? We asked her about it. Yeah. Um, and she said, go back and listen to the episode if you haven't already because she was a fantastic guest. But she said that it was like scaling the side of your house. <laughs> and that was always stuck with me that she said that. Uh, and every time I see it, I now think of that. So to imagine the pain she was in and how well she did to stay in the mix and fight for the victory. Well, fight for five. I guess she was probably fighting for like top five or top 10, but she did really, really well. Yeah. Um, and you know, what? I'm, I'm always pleasantly surprised when I go through the start list of these women's races and see the number of British flags there are there. I think we've got such a good contingent of riders coming through and it's not to say we don't in the men's, but I just think the number relative to the rest of the peloton in the women's um, side of the sport the moment for britain is so so encouraging and yeah i just like to see that yeah we've seen it we've seen it with fifa georgie who took her first world tour win recently as well and anna henderson had a very good record in mm -hmm. races she, she was she placed in like the top 10 of her first five races this season as well so they're tapping away they're doing something right tom somebody else who's doing something right at the moment is a uh, a rider who we know on this podcast i have a soft spot for which is Roman Bardet, who looked very good in the men's flesh alone. I was not who, warned about this before we started recording the episodes. And who, on the day of recording, uh, which is Tuesday the 26th of April, has placed fourth in the sprint of the Tour de Romandie. If you're not putting him on Tour de France contender lists at this point, then I don't know what you're writing. I'm just wondering how sprinting to fourth at the Tour de Romandie has um, managed to be shoehorned into our, our den uh wrap up episode it's because tom it's it tells a story right and you need these elements <laughs> it's a thread we're just we're just following the threads and weaving the patchwork of roman bardi's season which is going to finish in yellow 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 okay. thread this is a load of poetic nonsense you've come out with there <laughs> anyway have you got anything about taddy pogacar on that race because i i just there's something about the way Tadej Pogacar wins races that there's just not really any words to talk about it. No, you messaged me for my predictions last Wednesday morning and I went back just said, Tadej Pogacar, Demi Vollering, no point even discussing this. We both know that they're both going to win and that's what happened. And I think that kind of sums up flesh. <laughs> that was pretty much it. There was absolutely no one who didn't think that Tadej Pogacar was going to win that race and he did. I think you're right. I think you're right. Um... Liege Baston Liege, Tadej Pogacar gets struck with bad luck. 85 Are we allowed to in. quote what, what he said? What did he say? I believe he put a tweet out and he just said, shit happens. Yeah, he's he is a fresh mind, isn't he? There's something about his mm. attitude, which is just so welcome, where, you know, he breaks his arm in a race or fractures his wrist rather and yeah. posts a picture of himself, a selfie, smiling, on Twitter, on uh, on Instagram, of his cast, which he's clearly, which he's drawn like little symbols all over, <laughs> like little flowers and things all over. Um, he's just an icon. Like I, I think for somebody to be so good at the sport, but just have such an an air of not really caring about anything, just makes his dominance so much more inspiring. He just loves riding his bike. Um, that is evident every day. And 
look, I'll be honest, all these guys know that if you're going to be a professional bike racer, it probably comes with the territory that sometimes you're going to fall off and hurt yourself. And the same with this one. There's a lot of news outlets who will be really bigging up what this means for Tadej Pogacar. It means absolutely nothing, right? He was, I don't think he was scheduled to race until about six weeks' time at the Tour of Slovenia anyway. Um, yeah. And his I team came out the next day. I assume he can just get day. on the... Um... You know, he can if his wrist's in a cast, he can just rest it on some bars and still get on the indoor bikes and keep himself in shape as well. This is exactly what his team came out and said. Yeah. His team was like, he's not going to be racing in, in actual road races, but he's going to be back on the turbo, you know, in two days' time. And it's like, well, this made absolutely no difference. He was probably gonna have a he was probably gonna have a day off anyway. Yeah. Um So there we go. Don't worry about Tade Pugacha. But we send we send our love and well wishes to you, Tade. And in his absence, another, I su- suppose, quite predictable winner. In the absence of Tadej Pogacar, Mathieu van der Poel and Wout van Aert, who has reappeared and stepped back up to win that race. Yeah, Remco Evenepoel in the white shorts. Um, <laughs> thoughts on the white shorts, Tom? Um, you know, I don't really have an opinion either way on the white shorts, but I know that you have um, have been trolled online for your views on these white shorts. Yeah, I did. I got some, uh, I refer to it as fan mail. I can't remember what they said. Shall I, shall I read it out for anyone who doesn't follow me? I was quite amused when I saw this tweet come up from you. Yeah, so I, I wrote a, a piece. While you're, um, while you're still mourning the loss of your blue tick as well, obviously. Yeah, I'm over that. Um, I, I, I wrote a piece for the day job, right, about uh, Liège-Bastogne-Liège and kind of the, the talking points from that. And um, somebody has emailed me and they've said, Tom, I can't believe the first comment you make on a great article. I love how he says it's a great article. Like that is, it's nice to preface it with that. I can't believe the first comment you make on a great article is regarding Remco's choice of white shorts. Is that news? After such a great race and his high level of competition and Tade having an injury, who the hell cares what color his shorts are? Seems to me you should be doing fashion and gossip articles instead of professional cycling. Yes, well, you, you've been publicly eviscerated. Yeah, that's me. I've been I've been destroyed <laughs> by some bloke from California there. Um, but I'm going to come out and talk about the white shorts because I, I, they, they do mean a lot to me, as this person's pointed out. Um, and I really like them. Yeah, I mean, look, you've done this before. The the brown shorts at uh, AG2R a few years ago, they got far too much airtime on this podcast. So... If you want to continue on brand and go with the white shorts, coupled with the world champions jersey, I think anything looks quite nice. So, um, yeah, each to their own. Yeah, I've got a bit of a gripe about Remco in the world champions jersey. Now, I, I think he deserves it, right? Which is not not saying much, <laughs> but um, I don't think he looks as good in it. Um, I think Alaphilippe looked born to wear the thing, and I think this is why Remco's kind of experimenting with different ways to wear it because I think he's aware that it doesn't really suit him that well. Before he um, gets all his TV time on the Grand Tours in the summer, he needs to uh, yeah, work out his wardrobe. Yeah, the white shorts are iconic. I think he's probably the last rider to win an Arden Classic in white shorts since... Uh, an Arden Classic in what? Matthew van der Poel. Since Matthew van der Poel won Amstel Gold in 2019. Uh, do you know what another former world champion who was partial to a pair of white shorts, Tom? <laughs> um uh, you are putting me on the spot here former world champion um 
Right. I, I don't think I can't picture Sagan in white shorts. Um, no, we've we've already we've already touched on him. Uh, well, Philippe Gilbert. Philippe Gilbert in his yeah. BMC <laughs> BMC era was partial to a pair of white shorts, and I think maybe it hasn't come out and said it, but maybe there was a nod, you know, to his Belgian antecedents there to say, you know what, I'm I'm about to win a uh, an Ardennes Classic. Little nod to Philippe Gilbert solo across the line. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm done. I'm I've done on white really, shorts. Now. I've really run out of talking points on the white shorts now, so I'm not sure where to go from here. <laughs> I'm done. Um, what I do want to talk about that race though is basically it was quite a boring race, and I think um, <laughs> us, <laughs> like a lot of our listeners, probably uh, kind of switched off after Paris Roubaix, right? And we tuned in a bit to the Arden Classic. This one, when Remco went with what was it, however many kilometers to go, I thought can turn off here to be honest i'm kind of done with these spring races but what i want to say is uh, that was uh, no need for me to for, to spring that assault on uh <laughs> there um did it save sudal quickstep's spring campaign it has been talked about hasn't it because they're a team who are used to winning so often so regularly um i'm not sure it was ever a campaign that needed saving you can't begrudge them one bad year here or there um it probably makes things easier just in terms of morale and uh with the head of the team uh it might get him off your back for a few days because we all know what he's like but i don't think they should have been at panic stations or anything yet it wasn't as bad as it was made out to be and they've they've had a lot of bad luck um with sort of the injuries to their key riders and things like that so it certainly makes things better i don't think they were in desperate need of being saved yet okay uh to me tom the answer to that question was no based on the fact that everyone turned off after Roubaix. <laughs> so I think there are some cycling fans that don't even know who won Liège, Baston Liège. Um, they went winless for a month between March and April, right? Uh, now, to bring it back... Which is a the... serious drought for them as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is, a, this is a team that would, you know, as as close as like five years ago, would just dominate all of the spring classics. Yeah. They would be favourites for Roubaix, favourites for Flanders. And they've had riders that have popped up and won those races. Askreen won Flanders. Gilbert won Roubaix for them a few years ago, maybe in 2018. I want to say, was Nicky Terpstra riding for them? Uh, probably. Yes, he was yeah. for um, whoever the hell he rides for now. I then you get back to the this. days where Tom Burnham used to just win every race for them. Yeah, I mean, that was that was obviously yeah. their ideal. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just I just don't think their team is really built around that. And we've seen that with... Remco's pivot to Grand Tours but what I was going to say is the thing that is saving their season is they've now won three races on the bounce Tom in which swish swish uh Tom in which Swiss stage race have Sudal Quickstep now won two races in a row um well you, you mentioned the uh, Tour de Romandie earlier so I want I would hazard a guess at that it is the Tour de Romandie yeah um <laughs> This episode is not really brought to you by the Tour de Romandie, but it's ended up being brought to you by the Tour de Romandie. Just as an attempt to shoehorn Roman Bardet into it. We'll see how that develops. <laughs> um, final comment. Let's talk about Demi at Liège. Yes, back onto the triple A. The, uh, the one who did manage to... Uh, what am I, the one who... The one who's not a choke. Yeah, uh, she did it. She... Brought home the triple A, uh, the coveted prize. And, you know, the one thing I've, that I've taken home from Demi Vollering winning these three races is the manner in which she won all three was very different. Okay. Ex expand, please. 
Well, she wins um, Amstel Gold at the beginning of the week with a late attack over the crest of the hill and, you know, takes it home to the line while everyone else behind is arguably sitting around and looking at each other. Um, she wins Flesh just by beating the rest of them into submission uh, on the murder we. And then um, she comes to Liege Bast on Liege. It's all on the line. She knows she needs it for the... Uh, Triple and oh, triple, triple A. The triple and um, I think she I, was it. A t- it was just a two-up sprint. She won it, in, wasn't it? With Longo Borghini, yeah. So very impressive. Um, I mean, this has now happened twice in the women's peloton. I uh, was it 2017 was the first year that all three of these races had a women's edition, and Anna Vanderbrug and Julie turned up and won all three. But it's not been repeated since then until now. Um, I believe with Anna Vanderbrug in the car directing it all as well. I, yeah. It's interesting you mentioned that. I hadn't even thought about the fact that they were he, she won them in three different ways. Mm. It just goes to show and reinforce the fact that she is a very, very well-rounded rider. So um, versatile. When we, we saw at Strada Bianchi, she was not probably among the favourites to win that race, but she had just unbelievable determination up that climb and then a quick sprint at the end, which is again those same skills that she's clearly been working on. We've seen again in the Ardennes determination up the murder we and then the ability to sprint at um liege baston liege it's it's one of those i think it's probably quite key to the way sd works on winning so many races when they've got they've obviously got lots of Kopecky and plenty of other talented riders there as well but when you've got someone like debbie vollering there's there's so many ways that she can win a race there's just so many things you can have her do to to open it up and either produce for herself or someone else on the team uh let's finish on a yes or no question tom okay is Demi Vollering going to win the Tour de France Femme avec Zwift this year? Oh, um, no. Oh, that's not the answer <laughs> I would have said. Okay. Um, do you want to say, you know what? We'll come back to that. Tom, take okay. it away with the socials. Oh, well, well, you can find us on the socials and dispute that decision um, at TTPDCST uh, on Twitter and Insta. Um, I was going to say and on that bombshell, but I realised that was that's a, a similar, that's a that's the line yeah. that was used in a very uh, a, an yeah. old man's motoring that, show, wasn't it? That, that we're not going to bother with. Yeah, it would be very Clarkson of you. So yeah, there we go. <laughs> Demi Vollering has the best week of her life, and Tom is still not backing her to win uh, the big race. I will caveat that by saying it's much easier to. Pre- I think I'm putting a lot less on the line by saying that she won't than she will. Okay. Okay. Um, Tom. A pleasure in any case speaking with you the listener thank you as always for tuning in and we will speak to you next time take care thanks everyone